Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning, Mackenzie. Oh, come on, you mob. I especially put a Mackenzie shirt and Mackenzie shoes on. I, uh, I, I went through the wardrobe and went to find out something that looks like Derek and Jason, and this is what I got. So that's my cross-cultural commitment to you, mob. To, um... <laughs> My mother's community are from North Queensland, part of the Birra, and in Birragaba language they say Watamuli to say hello. So, Watamuli. You can do that one again. Watamuli. Thank you, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning and to, to share with you as God's people together. Um, we are in the third series of that, uh, uh, the one another process, but today is also NADOC. And, uh, for those of you who are wondering what, the, what in the world a NADOC is, it isn't a vet for horses. So um, a NADOC is... Uh, I know, there's a ripple effect as some people have... Uh, NADOC, ah. So NADOC stands for National Aboriginal and Islander Day of Celebration. It originally was commemoration in the early 1900s when the people of God got together with indigenous communities and, and wanted to, to, to say, that things are not right, we want to pray for something better. And so that's when, where it came from. It sort of morphed from the early 1900s from being a day of commemoration to being a day of celebration because, you know, we didn't want to see everything through a deficit lens and feel down all the time. And like most Aboriginal parties, a day was too short, so we wanted to extend it out and make it a week. Um, so it's now um, NADOC week, and our theme uh, for this year is uh, Voice, Treaty and Truth. Let's work together for a shared future. We're going to talk about shared futures, but more to get, uh, and, and about truth today as we think of what it means to be the people of God and what it means to love one another, care for one another, and as we explore today, what it means to forgive one another. I want to draw your attention to this artwork behind me. It comes from your brothers and sisters in Christ in Central Desert, the Wadbury people. My parents were missionaries to that area. Any, any mission kids here? Parents were missionaries? Children of mission? I see that hand, brother. Any preacher's kids in the house? Yeah, I can see you. Yep, we've all got the same psychological makeup. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have our own support group later. Um, <laughs> This came from the group that where my parents were missionaries and where I grew up um, as an early child. And um, when you see Central Desert work and you see that U shape, if you go to, uh, uh, go to the beach and you cross your legs and sit down in the sand, stand up, turn around and look back where you sat and there you'll find there's a U shape there. And if you don't believe me, grab your kids or your grandkids, sit them in the sand pit when you go home, pick them up and you'll see a U shape left behind. That's what signifies human beings, because when this desert art was originally used, it was to communicate, and it was actually p painted in the desert. It was, it's not put on canvas. All of this was done using different coloured paint, uh, different coloured sand and ochre, and it was used to, to draw um, uh, stories and ceremonies in the sand. 
Here it's been Christianized and canvasized, I guess, put on, on um, in paint, and it communicates what life is like outside of Christ, and as we uh, follow the tracks into Christ, the big U shape. You'll see people down here are not in communion with each other, we're looking away, we're disconnected, and uh, not in proper relationship. We're not loving one another, we're not caring for each other, and probably not forgiving each other either. But as we make our way and follow the, the tracks into the fullness of Christ, we find our right relationship. We find that we are able to face each other and see each other and communicate with each other. So that's from an ancient style of artwork. And what I want to read to you from now is an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. He says these words in Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Each of you now is a new person. You are becoming more and more like your creator and you will understand him better. It doesn't matter if you are a Greek or a Jew or if you are circumcised or not. You may be even a barbarian or a Scythian. Now, I had to pause this morning to explain what a Scythian is to people. That's actually a, um, a Eurasian mob from around near the border of Iran. They are not an action figure from Star Wars to buy a 13-year-old <laughs> on eBay. A Scythian is a people. Um, you may even be a barbarian or a Scythian. You may even be a slave or free person. Yet Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. You get that? That's a great one, isn't it? Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. God loves you and has chosen you as his own special people. So, I love it when the Bible says so, because there's always a good thing that follows it. So be gentle, kind, humble, meek and patient. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together. We are God's chosen people, amen? Oh, maybe you might be. We're God's chosen people, amen? amen. We've been redeemed uh, by the blood of the Lamb. We've just sung about how good he is in his greatness. We, we even focused on the fact when the breath returned to his body, he rose again and conquered death and enabled us to enter into right relationship with him and right relationship with each other. We are chosen. It wasn't cheap, although we accepted by grace freely. It cost uh, the life of, uh, of the Lord himself who went to the cross for us. But as God's chosen people, we are called to love and care for each other um, and the world around us. But in order to do that, it's important to remember our ultimate reality in God's, uh, the ultimate reality of God's truth. So if you don't know the truth, sometimes you can forget who you are. And if you don't know the truth, sometimes you can forget uh, your place and your status in Christ Jesus. 
So my day job, I work for World Vision as a faith and development advisor, technical advisor to the Australia program. So part of that role is uh, looking at some of the projects and I help with a faith lens and a sacred lens and a cultural lens for our development work. Um, uh, that's where I get to travel back out to see this mob. Uh, we're doing at the moment uh, a domestic violence, a family violence program, looking at building family safety from a faith-based lens. We're adapting it from South Africa. So that's one piece of work I do. That's uh, what I uh, do to pay the bills. Um, I also dabble a little on the side as a consultant, a cross-cultural consultant as well. And in that sort of side job, I, I help to work organ help organisations with Indigenous and non-Indigenous leaders navigate complex social problems and complex social issues. I deliver training to help uh, cross-cultural leaders deal with issues like managing Indigenous staff and recruitment, or addressing stuff like um, uh, youth unemployment in regional centres with a number of different stakeholders. Navigating communication and conflict with complex issues in a cross-cultural environment is a bit like World War I trench warfare. Um, you ever remember that movie Gallipoli, where the, you see people in World War I, they had trenches, and the Turks were at the other side, and the, the Anzacs were at the other? My, um, uh, Great-grandfather was a uh, light horseman with 11th Battalion, so his job was to ride ahead. Um, his name was uh, Frank Fisher, he's a big guy. He's also Kathy Freeman's uh, ancestor as well, so I'm one of a million uh, Aboriginal people related to Kathy Freeman, and I, <laughs> I can't run for nuts, but you know. <laughs> but we got the same ancestor, and um, uh, he, um, in that form of warfare, you stay in the safety of your trench. And sometimes cross-cultural, when I help people through cross-cultural uh, communication, everybody lives in their trenches. The work we need to do to you know, address the complex social issue, that's sort of the stuff that exists in no man's land. And as soon as we come time to address it, whenever people feel safe, like, oh, I said the wrong thing, I don't want to offend indigenous people, Boop, back down to the trench. Or I want to come up and, and get engaged, but I don't want to be, if anything looks or smells like I'm being patronised, whoop, I'm going to run back down and hide in my trench. Part of my role as a facilitator and a, a capacity developer when I partner with people like this is to remind them of what their common goal is. What are they trying to do together? I try to remind people of the bigger purpose, the bigger goal, the bigger dream, the bigger truth to the current reality that they're trying to, uh, they're trying to address. Coming out of um, safety uh, of the cultural trench is hard, but the bigger dream, purpose and goal has to be bigger than the fear of failure. Did you get that? I'm encouraging people to say, your big dream, your big desire, your big hope, your big goal, your big truth has to be way, way bigger than the fear of getting it wrong. Navigating relationships in the family of God can be a bit like that sometimes as well. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our bigger purpose, our bigger dream, 
our bigger goal, our bigger truth, especially when we're tempted to stay in the safety of our own trench, our own personality, our own worldview, especially when our feelings are hurt and something goes wrong. Sometimes we need to be reminded that each of us now is a new person. Each of us now has been created in his image. God loves us and has chosen us to be his own special people. And in choosing us, it really doesn't matter what race we are. It really doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what class we're from, doesn't matter about our employment status, our skill set, whether we're male and female or female, our bigger dream is the kingdom of God. Our bigger purpose is to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? You can clap that one. <laughs> That's something to say amen about. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We need to remember our, our foundational truth. Uh, that's what defines us. Who we are in Christ Jesus. We have been bought uh, with a price. We belong to him. That's our fundamental reality. That's our fundamental truth. That's the thing that matters most. Not who we voted for at the last election. Not who wins state of origin on Wednesday night. Brother, I will reach out to you in the spirit of reconciliation as a New South Welshman. Different cultures, different tribe. But you know who to pray for, don't you, people? <laughs> Our ultimate reality when we've said yes to Jesus is that we now belong here. We now belong in Christ. We have chosen to make him Christ as Lord, and so there's no need to act like we live out here. There's no need to live like we're disconnected, unrelated, not family, not mob, and unforgiving. But we're called to love one another, care for one another, and forgive one another in and through the power of Christ Jesus in his family. That's our ultimate uh, reality. That's the ultimate truth. That's our ultimate reality truth and that's our ultimate fact. Faith acts upon God's facts, amen? If that's a fact, Jack, we believe it, we live our lives by it. Know the truth of our life together as God's people. The truth of Christ is in us and that's all that really matters. In our passage this morning, Paul says to the church at Colossae, God loves you and has chosen you as your own special people. Be gentle, kind, humble, meek and patient, put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong. Just as Christ has forgiven you. You know, I struggle with the call to forgiveness, I've got to be really honest with you. In fact, when we talked about NADOC's service and this togetherness series, and I found out that NADOC coincided with forgiveness, I thought, oh, Jason, really? <laughs> but it's been a gift from God, I've got to tell you, because it's God's message to me. So if it doesn't hit you in the heart, know that it's at least hit the speaker up on the stage. 
I struggle with forgiveness, and you can ask my wife Kim all about it. She can tell you I can be grumpy and unforgiving, and unforgiving about all sorts of stupid things, and five minutes later it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter at all. God has taught me a lot about forgiveness, and a lot of that has come through the witness and testimony of my parents, who've had to learn how to forgive a long, long time before me. We're going to see something of what uh, here's something of what my father's learned to forgive and some of the issues and challenged his faith in his life. This process of colonisation affected me in a, in a, in a couple of ways uh, in the sense that uh, my Aboriginal parents and grandparents were dispossessed and displaced. But on my grandfather's side, he was uh, brought out from Vanuatu uh, picked up out of a fishing canoe and brought to Australia to cut cane and forced uh, into uh, la uh, labouring on a farm in Bundaberg in central North Queensland. The, the difficulty is this, is this that it's hard then to get a proper perspective on socialisation processes because what gets passed down is the, the enormous hurt and, and disorientation that comes from losing one's land, losing one's identity, losing one's goal and purpose in life. And this is passed down from my grandparents to my parents and from my parents to me. And so I've had to deal with this disquiet and, uh, and dysfunction that, that I couldn't explain. When I was a, a young uni student in my late teens and early 20s, I, I was a very angry person. I, um, I was a very cocky person and I, I thought I knew everything. I knew all there is to know. I had an opinion about everything and even things I knew nothing about. I had an opinion about that too. And, um, and I, I didn't need the internet back then because we didn't have it because I already knew it all. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'd studied anthropology, sociology and political science and came adept at deconstructing the world and forensically picking it apart. But I lacked grace and wisdom about how to put things back together. I used to come home to my parents after classes and lectures dump my textbook on the table and I used to uh, bang on to them about what was done to our people in the name of Jesus and, um, and, and try to you know, get angry at them as if they hadn't already lived through it or didn't already know it. I remember a sermon my dad preached at that time uh, around reconciliation. And the reason why I remember it is because it's one of those things that God stuck in the side of my belly uh, to poke my conscience. He said it was God who proclaims the message of reconciliation through Christ Jesus. It is God who provides the means of reconciliation uh, through Christ Jesus. And it's God who actually does the act of reconciling through the, the death, burial and resurrection of his son, Christ Jesus. The one thing that stuck in my mind 
and that still haunts me to this day, well, in a good way, is that God initiated the process of forgiveness. God, the one who was sinned against in the Garden of Eden, God, the one who had the treaty broken, the sacred relationship, the sacred pact with Adam and Eve when he created them and said, look after this place and space and be in right relationship with me, with creation, the land and yourselves. I want you to look after this, Adam and Eve. But it's God who was sinned against when they broke that covenant, when they broke that pact, when they broke that agreement. God is the one who sinned against and yet he's the one that initiates the process to make things just, to make things right, to, make, uh, to allow you and I to enter into right relationship with him and relationship with each other while we were yet sinners. God didn't wait around for us to grow a guilty conscience. God didn't uh, wait for us to, to, uh, for us to make an admission or to issue a national policy in Canberra and at, in Parliament House. God didn't wait around for any of those things. God made a way for us to find forgiveness even though we thought we didn't need it and even though we might not have even asked for it at that time. That's pretty amazing what God has done for you and I, isn't it? We have found a way to, to find forgiveness and right relationship. Sometimes I think we, we take it for granted a bit too much. Because if we stopped and paused about the cost, we might think about the sins we commit uh, more, a, a bit more soberly. So, life together. Loving one another, caring for one another, forgiving one another. If God has done all of this, making a way for us to enter into right relationship with him while we were yet sinners, if God has done this for us as his children, how much more should we forgive each other if we are in Christ? Amen. We should. In our passage this morning, Paul is wanting us to see that Christ is our ultimate reality. Christ is our ultimate truth, not our culture, not our race, our gender, political, economic ideologies, not even the pain or the injustice that has been inflicted on us. That's not our ultimate identity. Christ is. Social and cultural markers of identity are important, but they're not the most important part. Christ is the ultimate reality. Christ is the ultimate truth. And he calls us to forgive. So, be gentle, kind, humble, meek and patient. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong just as Christ has forgiven you. That's a big call. Just as Christ has forgiven you, is the measure by which Christ is calling you to forgive your brother, your sister uh, uh, in Christ. Forgiveness and justice don't always go together. 
I know plenty of people, I'm waiting for my justice, brother. I won't be forgiven nobody until they own up to what they did and come to me and said sorry, and then I'll think about justice, maybe. But my injustice is my badge of honour. My offence is my, my, my point of identity. In fact, forgiveness doesn't need to wait around for justice. God didn't wait around for us to figure it out before he made the, the step towards us. There are times when victims often forgive uh, their perpetrators for the sake of their own healing and for the sake of their own well-being because carrying unforgiveness is too heavy a price to bear and maybe because there's no justice that can ever fix the brokenness in their lives. People do this sort of stuff. People forgive without justice. Um, I remember watching on TV with horror uh, the Christchurch massacres. Did any, do, you, do you remember that? That happened earlier this year? What a shock, what a horror when you hear about this guy running through mosques and gunning people down. And I remembered feeling uh, just shocked, uh, filled with grief and enraged, and I just felt the flesh rise up in me. You know, that part that wanted to uh, get even, the part that want, didn't know what to do but just felt um, totally disempowered. And then I was standing there watching the TV, feeling this uh, anger rise in me. Almost felt like the Lord, the, the interviewer asked one of the victims, you know, there with blood. He said, so how do you feel about the gunman? How do you feel about uh, the terrorists that came through your mosque and did those horrible things? And he said, well, he's created in the image of God too, so I guess I love him and I forgive him. And I remembered, did any of you see that? Am I just making that up? <laughs> well, I'm going to find it next time and put it up on the thing because I feel like I might be one of those things a pastor makes up for a good sermon story. <laughs> but I assure you it's not. He said, I love you, I love him and I forgive him. And I felt, oh, what? It's like God saying, see? Kind of like Jesus did when he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, see the Samaritans? You reckon she's not proper spiritual? They're not proper, they haven't got the right truth? But the good Samaritan was the one that got it. It kind of felt like God standing next to me and saying, see, there's that other son of Father Abraham and um, he's outgraced you. <laughs> and that's what it literally felt like, the rug being pulled from underneath me and a Muslim brother, an Islamic brother, was uh, outgracing me. People can choose forgiveness without justice ever being realised. Because the flip side of forgiveness is unforgiveness and bitterness. I once heard unforgiveness described as drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. You know, I'm so unforgiving, I'm not going to forgive, I'm not going to let that go. And they're going to get theirs one day as if that's going to make anything better. There are people in my community who will be marching later on the, uh, this week and uh, they uh, fight for social justice and righteousness but they do so with unforgiveness in their hearts. They do so with brokenness, being unresolved and without a hope in a bigger story. God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want us in the family of God, 
living like we belong outside. He's calling us to love one another, to care for one another, and forgive one another. Knowing the truth of identity in Christ is an important foundation for us to be able to forgive one another, but love, it is love that ultimately brings all things together in ways that legislation simply cannot. We don't have to wait around for Canberra to do reconciliation for us. We don't have to wait around for justice to be manufactured outside. We're already family. Mightn't feel like it, but you can go home and tell your families and friends, oh yeah, I met my Aboriginal brother from another mother. <laughs> We're already adopted into the kingdom of God. Part of the challenge is to make real in our lives what already has been made real in Christ Jesus for us on the cross of Calvary. Legislation cannot bring us together, but it's the choices we make each day to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, uh, patience, bearing each other and forgiving each other. And if any of you has a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds us all together in perfect unity. I like that particular translation because it talks about putting on compassion, putting on forgiveness like a coat. Putting it on. Unity is binding uh, together in the act of, is bound together in the act of love for loving each other, the love of God who forgives us so we have the right relationship to forgive each other. Folks, we can't manufacture the spiritual strength to do forgiveness in our own flesh. But we don't have to. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to each and every one of us so we can actually live out that forgiveness. That's worth clapping, my sister. That same power. Now, I, I'm not an engineer, so I don't have a scientific bone in my body, and I don't know how many kilowatts it took to raise Jesus from the dead. Have we got any scientists in the house? Because that's like another kind of culture that speaks another kind of language. I don't know how you gauge it or measure it, but it's accessible to you and I to do the unthinkable things, the unforgivable things, and be the radical community that God is calling us to be to be the radical, unified community that we are called to be. We are called to love one another. We're going to end our time in a video that calls uh, from uh, my father again, Reverend Graham Paulson, uh, talking about uh, a vision for the future. The Australian church needs to rediscover the, the prayer of John 17. When Jesus prayed for the church, the primary prayer point was that, they'd all, that they all may be one, even as we are one. Discovering what that oneness is, discovering how that oneness can be expressed is part of the task of today's uh, church in this country. Christ calls us to forgive. We need to understand those around us, their story, the part we play, and live as people who are forgiven. 
so we can then forgive. We are one in Christ, amen? Through Christ's forgiveness, we are one in Christ. Our unity comes through what Christ has done for us all. In a moment, we are going to come to celebrate that. In a moment, I'm going to invite you as God's people, as my kinship, as my weagol, as my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to come and partake a meal. But I'm also conscious that forgiveness is like a powder keg. It's not easy to do. And I'm also conscious of that passage in Bible where, where, where it calls us to leave our offering to make things right and then come and worship. Now maybe you've got some forgiving to do of others that aren't here. Maybe there's some forgiveness you need to seek for people that aren't here. Maybe there's forgiveness that you need to give yourself. I'm going to ask you to pause, take stock for a minute, and then come down and take of the body broken for us. To enable us to enter into right relationship again and find forgiveness. I'm going to invite you to take the cup which symbolises the blood that was spilt in order for you and I to find relationship and find forgiveness in Christ. I'm going to ask you to return and partake of those emblems together when you're ready. When you're ready, come down, take the elements. Let's worship together as we remember what Christ has done to enable us to be a people who love one another, care for one another, and forgive one another. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.